Awesome, awesome. How are we doing? Good, 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 good. Um, well, I am excited this morning uh, to be able to open up God's Word with you and share uh, where He has us. And so if you have your Bibles, grab those. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter uh, 13, uh, verse 1 is where we'll start uh, kind of in our reading this week. This is uh, one of those scriptures that just kind of gripped me, um, and, and I just felt like God was just pressing me to, to head down uh, head down this road and, and to look at, uh, at this man just story here, this parable uh, that, that he is going to share uh, with us. And so um, before we jump in and kind of really get going this morning, just want to remind you of the chair uh, that's randomly sitting here on the stage that was outside. Um, uh, and the chair is just a representation uh, of a seat that needs to be filled, um, an opportunity for us to, to go after and invite. Uh, and we've got uh, a very laid back uh, easy time tonight to do that, um, uh, and so I know sometimes church can be overwhelming for people, and so uh, for us tonight, uh, we've got our uh, tailgate party, uh, and our tailgate party is just a way of us just saying thank you, we love you for all that you do around here, uh, we're going to have some giveaways, uh, there is, those things called a griddle, uh, there's a big griddle thing that we're going to have that's going to be a giveaway, we've got gift cards, we've got some amazing food coming, we're going to have games on, there's going to be cornhole um, and so uh, we're just going to have a great time of just celebration and fellowship tonight. Um, and it would be a great, easy opportunity to invite someone that maybe one day would fill a chair uh, that could become a part of, of this fellowship, this body. And so just always want to uh, keep that ever before us and remind us. And even as we look at our story this morning, uh, you will see that that will be the driving force uh, even behind what, what Jesus is going to share, what Jesus is going to say, uh, and what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So that, that's, that's what we'll do. We're going to look at the parable of the sower uh, and the seed. We're going to look at the soil. We're going to look at the different uh, aspects in this story. And we're just going to ask God to reveal to us uh, the condition of our heart. Where are we? What, uh, which uh, soil in this story do we represent? And we're going to ask him to give us the desire and the boldness just to share the gospel, to be able to, to invite and tell people of the glorious news of the gospel and what Jesus Christ uh, has done for us. And so uh, that's what we'll be looking at this morning. And so as, as we read through the gospels, as we see uh, and interact with, uh, with, with the four gospels, we're going to see Jesus doing a lot of things. Up to this point, 13 chapters in uh, to Matthew, uh, we, we see Jesus interacting in a number of ways. And one of the tools that Jesus is going to use is that of telling stories. Anybody a good storyteller? Can anybody tell us like, like stories? Like if I'd call you up here right now, you got to get, and I'm saying, she's like, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this. Um, well, well as, as I shared last week, it, it looks like, um, it looks like I've, I've got one of those in my family, and he is six right now. Um, and the story that I shared last week with the church was uh, how this guy tried to break in the house once, and how he brought with him a knife to kill our family. And I put my family in the closet, and I tell them to stay there. I'm going to take care of this. And I run the intruder off, um, which that never happened that way. It was a guy that wandered up to our back door, uh, then came around and rang the doorbell, uh, and I opened the door and began to have conversation with and step out and shut the door. Um, and in my six-year-old's mind at the time, more around the three to four age, uh, for some reason thought the guy was coming in with a knife to take us out, and Dad saved the day. And so I love the fact that he looks at me like that um, and that he sees, because the truth, mama would have probably been the one to take care of it, you know? Like, 
Like, if, if we're going to be honest in the Miller family, Dad, um, I, I, just, I, will, I will fight tooth and nail, but um, Mama's more scrappy than Dad. But anyways, um, so, uh, but, but what we're going to see, what you see in the scriptures, especially in the Gospels, you're going to see Jesus as, as a storyteller, and, and he's a great storyteller. And the thing about Jesus telling stories is he didn't just tell stories to entertain. He didn't just tell stories for the sake of telling uh, a story or getting a good laugh or, 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 uh, or anything of that sort. Jesus was very intentional when he told a story. They had great meaning, had great insight. Uh, they were heavy on spiritual truth. And the stories that Jesus would tell would be called parables. Those are the type of stories that he would tell. And so he would take a simple story of the day. He would look at it and he would see something happening in, uh, in that day, in that culture, in that environment. And as he sees something transpiring, happening, he would take that story and he would tell something along those lines to illustrate a moral lesson or a spiritual lesson. He would take the, uh, the, their, their culture, uh, their happenings, and he would take that and he would uh, uh, put into it a very, a very pointed spiritual lesson. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be breaking down and, and visiting. So I'm going to ask you to join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into Matthew 13. Father, help us this morning to have ears to hear what you would say. Father, your word brings life. Your word directs us. Your word convicts us. Your word does a multitude of things. And Father, I pray this morning in this place, it would not be different. That, that, that you would accomplish all that you see fit, all that you need to. Father, this is your service. And as already been said in this place this morning, we are here for you and for your glory. Father, we're here because we acknowledge we need you. And so, God, I pray that in the midst of, of your word being proclaimed, that the Holy Spirit would work in such a way as to shape and mold us that will change us for all eternity. So, Father, do, do what you see fit in this place for your glory, for your name. Shame we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Matthew 31, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Uh, this is what God's word says. Matthew 13, one says, it says, uh, the same day Jesus went out uh, of the house and he sat beside the sea. And so early on in Jesus's ministry, what you're going to see as we've read through the gospels, he's, he's going to spend a little bit more time inside. He's going to be uh, in houses. He's going to be in synagogues and different places like that, visiting with people uh, in, their, in their home or in their places there. And so as his ministry progresses, uh, he was rejected more and more, especially uh, by the Jews. And so as that happens, he uh, spends more time ministering outdoors. He takes that and he, he goes outdoors and he meets the people there in, in those settings. So you're going to see him by the, the seashore. Uh, we just finished reading through uh, uh, um, the, the, uh, the, um, through the Gospels here where we see him on the mountainside proclaiming and, and telling. And uh, you, you just see a number of places where where he's at. He's out on the streets and, and walking through the streets and just sharing and telling and interacting. He goes to the, uh, the woman at the well. You just see him in a number of places like that. And so as I've uh, picked up on that, that little uh, truth throughout the Gospels, the, the question that I would ask you is this, are you getting out? Do you get out? Even the Great Commission, as you are going, make disciples. And so it seems to be kind of the thrust of the Gospels is for the church, for God's people, uh, to get out and go and do. Uh, to, to live life and to be out amongst and uh, out there sharing and walking with, rubbing shoulders with. And so my question for you is this. Are you spending time outside of these four walls making him known? Are you spending time outside of this place? Like, like this is a safe place. This is a comfortable place. 
We gather this morning in this place pretty much knowing what's coming. We're going to open up the Bible. We're going to read some scriptures. Uh, we're going to be challenged from God's word. And then we're going to, we're going to leave. We, we know that there's not going to be a lot of opposition. We know that there's not going to be a lot of pushback. We've gathered under the banner of Jesus here to make him known, to, to worship him. Uh, uh, but are we getting outside these four walls and making him known? Are we taking him to the world? Because I would say it is as vitally important that we spend more time pursuing and living out Jesus away from this place as we do in this place. I mean, there's very little time that we spend here. Very little time that we spend here in the scope of percentages as it breaks down weekly. And so I would push us to the fact that we need to be pursuing and living him out out there. So when we go to work tomorrow, when we're sitting in our home with our families and our kids, when we spend time at, uh, uh, at the ball games, as we, uh, as we walk up and down the aisles of the supermarket, wherever it is that we're at, we can pursue and live out Christ in those settings and environments. Uh, that's like yesterday, we had a golf tournament for our oldest. And so before we, before we take off and before he tees off, we always do this, him and I pray. And we'll invite the other ones that are participating with him. Hey, would you, would you, we're going to pray for just a second. Would you, enjoy, would you uh, uh, like to join us as, as we pray? Sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they're like, ah, that's okay. Go ahead. And so what that does, even it sets the standard for us as, as we walk and as we do. And it reminds me of who I need to represent out there and make sure that I do that. Because sometimes I can get kind of in the moment of the competitive nature. And it can, yeah. Like, come on, God, I just want to shake him, but we prayed. I can't shake. There's no shaking the 10-year-old because, we, you know, it, it helps kind of set the tone. It helps point to and what it does in the heart of my kid. But remember why we're out here to play anyways. God, help me remember that as, as his dad. Help me set the standard. Help me push and show and live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, even on a golf course with a 10-year-old. So where I press you this morning and ask you is, who, who are you ministering to? Who are you investing in? Who are you sharing with, praying with, walking with? We've got to get out and go to the world because, look, they're not coming to us. Now, they, they may trickle in from time to time as a result, and that should, be, that should be the flow. See, we gather here this morning as what? As the bride. This is the church gathered only to scatter after this and to take this to the world. So, so we gather here this morning as the bride of Christ to make much of Christ, to grow and learn, feel conviction, feel encouragement, to, to worship. And the hope and the heart would be as we live that out this coming week, it, it would attract. It would cause conversation. We, we may get some uh, trickle in effect. But we're called to go. We're called to share. We're called to invest in and invite. So it goes on to verse 2, and it says this, and it says, As great crowds gathered about him, we, we, just, we see this happening with Jesus often. So the crowds gathered about him so that, that he got into a boat and he sat down. Again, that's a big point because uh, normally in, in this day, the teacher would stand and teach, but, but Jesus sits down. I just, I just imagine in my head it's to get on their level, it's to be, uh, to be able to, to just uh, humbly teach. And so the crowd stands there on the beach and they listen. And so there was just something about Jesus that, People were attracted to. Something about him that they wanted to be around. And even those who couldn't stand him wanted to check out and see what was happening. 
They wanted to figure out what was going on. And so where I would press us is this, is that people are watching. Church, people are watching us. Every one of us in this room has somebody watching and observing. And I would even argue even more so if you take the name of Christ. If you say that you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, if they know that about you, uh, and just for the record, they should know that about you. Uh, not because you're all up in their space or because you're uh, one of those, those, those crazy throw Bibles at them or, or whatever the case may be, but, th- but they should know that you belong to Jesus because of the way that you talk, because of the way that you act, the way that you react, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, the things that you'll be a part of, the things that you won't be a part of, wh- whether that's at work. Whether that's at play, whether that's at the ball field, wherever that may be. Like, like those in your life, if they don't know that you love Jesus and pursue Jesus, there's a problem. Because what we see in the scriptures is people are attracted, even those who can't stand Jesus, want to know a little bit more about what's going on. And that should be what's happening in our life as followers of Christ. They should know that we follow Jesus and love him. And we need to understand that. I mean, I mean the pressure's high. The, the pressure's great. And that's good. But hear me, you don't have to bear that yourself because you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. And I just believe with everything in me, one of the greatest things that we have in our arsenal as followers of Jesus Christ is the simple phrase, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't handle that right. To to own our mess ups, to own our mistakes. The the world tries to justify, the world tries to to, to sugarcoat or to wax over, to blame every single body else on planet earth. It can never be my fault or my issue. It's got to be something else. Culture, society, my upbringing. I mean, the world never looks in the mirror and takes ownership over their struggle, over their shortcoming. And I believe that that's something that can separate us in a mighty, mighty way is that we live humbly in a way of when we blow it, we mess up, we struggle, we own that, pressing into knowing that there's no condemnations for those who are in Christ, right? That's what the scriptures teach. We're not condemned. Man, we're forgiven. Brother, sister, hold your head up and keep pursuing. You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. You press into it. You repent and you keep walking. That, that's what we do. That's the invitation of the gospel. We own it. Man, man we live humbly that way, knowing that, that our perfection is found in Christ. And that we're a work in progress. We are in progress. Not fully perfected. One day that'll happen, not here yet. We're in progress, walking, pursuing, following. So we own that. So though there's pressure, don't let it get you. Press in and understand that. Know that people are going to watch. And the hope would be from that, there comes questions. From that, there comes conversation. And so what we see in verse 3, now Jesus kind of jumps into it. We're going to see what he's about to teach. He says this, he told them many things in parables, saying, and then he's going to, he's going to start to tell this parable. But I, I've already made light of it, but I just want to give you a good definition of a parable. A parable is a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. A heavenly story with an earthly meaning. So, so he's going to look at that day, and as we're going to see here, it's going to be with the sower, and he's going to uh, tell this story that they would be familiar with. He's going to share with them uh, uh, this story that would stick out, that's something that they would see and know and be aware of. And then what he's going to do is he's going to connect it to a spiritual truth. He's going to connect it to a kingdom thought is what he's going to do. But he's, he's going to use a story of their day, an imagery of their day to connect with them. And as he does that, he's going to link it to a, uh, to a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth. And so that's what he does as he continues in three. He says, a sower went out to sow. 
So you, you may not be familiar with what a sower is, but what a sower is is someone who would spread seed. I, I can remember whenever we uh, first moved here and we got our house and uh, we, we bought in um, or we moved in in May uh, and the grass is, is starting to green up and all that stuff. And it does not take long for weeds to get out there, does it? And freshly laid sod, usually the weeds will grow higher and faster and quicker and more everywhere than the grass. So I get the idea. Okay, like I'm, I'm the man of the house. This is what the man of the house is supposed to do, right? Let's take care of the problem. And you can mow those things, but they come back quick. So um, get this idea that, that I'm, I'm going to do it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to take care of these weeds, and I am going to spread some seed and kill those suckers. And so I go get one of those nifty little, little push things. And, and, I've, and hear me, like, like, I'm not a trained professional, but I've got trained professionals in my life. Like, one of my best friends does landscaping. So I get, uh, like, like, the, like, the percentage mix that I need to get of the, uh, the fertilizer, the killer, the, all that kind of stuff. And I get, the, like, the, the 80, 20, 10. I don't know what it is. But I, get, I get, get the bag of the stuff. I put it in. And he's like, now, Miller, straight lines, dude. Straight lines. You want to pay attention. You want to make sure. And you want, you, you want to spread this stuff evenly. I'm like, dude. How hard can that be? He's like, harder than you think. I got a college education, man. I'm good. So I, um, instead of Bible college, so it really doesn't count for a whole lot, right? But anyways, um, so I put the, I put, put the earphones, earbuds in, and I got my, my, my preaching going, my podcasting stuff going, and like, I am, like I'm, I'm doing this. Like, I'm fertilizing, weed killing. I'm like, I am just the man's man of the moment. Man, church, watch out. Here I come. But um, so, so I, like, I'm doing it. And then about, about three to four weeks later, we notice something. There are really, really bright spots of green in certain areas. And really plush, fertile, nice grass starting to go. And I'm like, there had to be something wrong with the mix. That 10% got spread where the 20 and 80% should have been. I, like, and I'm trying to justify, and I get him out there to look at it. And he's like, that's why I said, dude, you got to spread it evenly. You want to make sure, and you, and like, I'm a guy, like, if there's a bird, bird, you know, like, like, I'm, like, I'm everywhere spreading this stuff. I mean, how hard can it be? You just want to get it out there. The problem is when you do it that way, you get it, you get it everywhere, everywhere, and it's not, you got to put it in a certain way, in a certain area, in a certain pattern, and you want to spread it evenly, and I didn't do that, and so, uh, so when I started reading this story, thinking of that, you, that's the picture that's being drawn here. That's so going to go out and he's going to sow seed he's going to sling seed and this would be a common image this would be a common picture for the people in this day they were very involved with agricultural dealings they see that there that's the land that they're living in the day they're living in and they a guy with a bag of seed over his shoulder just slinging it and spreading it everywhere they would be familiar with this type of story and so Jesus is going to go in and verse 40 says this and so as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. So, so this kind of area, this kind of soil would be packed down and it would be hard because it would be a path, an area where people would walk, would travel, would, would go over frequently. And so what would happen is the seed would just sit there and it wouldn't be absorbed into the hard ground because it was hard and it was difficult. And what happened? The birds come and they devour it. They eat it as food. And then he's going to go on in verse 5 and says, Other seed fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. And immediately... They sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And so this would be underlying beds of, of, of soiled rock. 
It would be deeper than maybe the plow would reach to till up, to get rid of, to, uh, to, to do away with the rock or the, the, the hard stuff. And so what happened is the seed would hit and take, and it would spring up quick. But because it was shallow, it couldn't penetrate the hard rock below the surface there. And so, so it would come up, and it, it didn't have root, and, and it prevented it from having the proper nourishment to make it, to survive. And the sun comes out, and what happens? It burns it up. It burns it up. It, it, it kills it. Have you ever forgot to water your plants in the south in the summer? Full sunlight? Yeah, yeah. You, you know what happens at the end of the day. It looks good in the morning. It's cool. It's good. Everything's fine. The dew sitting on it. And then you come home, and you're like, what the heck happened? It, it gets roasted, doesn't it? It gets roasted. That, that's what he's saying is happening there. Then verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Uh, so the ground looked good, but what happened is that as it began to grow, the, the thorns and the thistles of that, that area would, 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 would encroach it. It would steal its space, the moisture, the nourishment, the sunlight, and then it would choke it out, and it wouldn't grow. And then verse 8, man, you have this other seed that fell on good soil, and it produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So this soil is loose. It's soft. It has good depth in taking in the seed. It was free from weeds. Why? Because it had good conditions that would allow it to produce. It had good conditions that would allow it to produce. It had been taken care of. It had been tilled. It had been worked. It had been prepared for. And it would allow it to be able to produce and take the seed and to grow and to do with the seed what it was supposed to. And so as this is happening, as this is, as this is taking place, I can just imagine Jesus in the boat. you got the crowd there. Can, can you imagine what they're thinking? Like, we're, we want to hear him teach something. Give us something. And he's telling us this crazy story about a dude slinging seed. Like, like what, what, is, what is he doing? What's happening? What's, what's taking place? I mean, if, if I was somebody in the crowd in that day, what, what, what's going on? I mean, they, they gather here to hear of all the stuff that he's done, to hear him teach maybe the law, whatever it may be, all the miracles. I mean, do something cool for us. And he just starts to talk about a guy slinging seed on the ground. And then he makes this statement in verse 9, and I think it's a very important statement. He says this, he who has ears, let him hear. And see, what Jesus is saying is this. If you can understand this, then understand it. Because what appears to be a story about a guy slinging seed really has a deeper meaning and a deeper truth to it, does it not? It, that's what Jesus does. He entices, he, he draws. He's not doing this in a mocking way or, or, or pointing out anything in them. He's just, it's almost like it's an invitation to those who are serious about maybe following him or going deeper in him. Because only those who accept can understand and profit from his teaching and lordship. Only those who, can, who accept and believe. To all others, his teaching is meaningless. It's crazy. It's, nonsense. it's just a story about a guy slinging seed. It, it, it makes no sense at all. It has, it has no weight. It has no bearing. It appears to just kind of be nonsense. What's Jesus doing? But we know the heart and motive of Jesus, don't we? He, he's come to bring life. He's come to share. Jesus doesn't just flippantly tell a story. 
Jesus has purpose and meaning in this. And he's going to go on uh, here in Matthew uh, verses 10 through 17. And, and, and the disciples are going to ask him, why? Why, Jesus? Why are you doing these parables? And he tells them it's because they've been made aware of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But, but not everyone has that understanding. Not everyone is, is privileged to that and gets that. And he's going to let them know that it's also to fulfill a prophecy. There's this prophecy that's been spoken from Isaiah. And it's to fulfill that prophecy. And then Jesus finishes by telling his disciples that they're blessed. You are blessed to be able to see. You are blessed to be able to hear and to understand what I'm talking about. And then Jesus is even going to explain this parable to his disciples. He's going to share it with them. And in verse 18, that's what he's going to do. Turn, turn there to verse 18. And this, this is what he says. Hear then the parable of the sower, he says. So the disciples, they could understand at a deeper level. Their faith had given them eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive. They could get it. And what we need to understand is the different factors here in this, the different parts of this parable. It's broken down into three things that we're going to look at this morning. Is this, you've got the sower. The sower is a vital part of this parable. Why? Because the sower is those who proclaim the gospel. Those who share the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, th that's one factor. That's one uh, a component of this story that has a huge, huge meaning and brings with it huge implications. And church, that should be us. We're the sower. Not a professional preacher, not a professional teacher, not your small group leader, not the one that takes care of the kids, but, uh, but, but the body of Christ, all of us in this room who take the name of Jesus are called to proclaim the gospel, to tell of the good news, to be witnesses of Christ, to share the things that we've experienced and known to be true about who Jesus is. And then the second thing that we see in this parable is the seed. What is the seed? The seed is the gospel itself. That's what it is. We are equipped and we have in us, with us, and for us the good news of who Jesus Christ is. I mean, in a world filled with horrific news, we have got the greatest news that has ever been told. You talking about telling a story, the men and women in this room, we can tell a story. That story that I shared about my six-year-old telling of the guy that tried to intrude and take us all out with his pocket knife fails in comparison to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, that the God of the universe takes on flesh and blood and he comes for his creation. A rescue mission like we have never, ever seen or experienced or never, ever will see or experience again is that of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. So we, we've got the gospel, the good news. Romans 1.16 says that, 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 that we're not to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of salvation to those who believe. Man, man, what we hold in our hands and in our heart is, 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 is forever changing. Power, didymos in the, in the original language, is this thought of, of dynamite. And me growing up in the hills of West Virginia, represent what, what? Uh, growing up in the hills of West Virginia. I don't know if you've ever driven through there, but there's this thing called the turnpike. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, if you make it through, you come out the other side as a better man or woman. And a much better driver, I'm just telling you, because if you can navigate through that. But I can remember as a kid, what they would do is they would bring in massive amounts of 
dynamite and they would like drill holes and they would put the dynamite in and they would get back and there would be days of, of, of detonation when they would let the dynamite off. And it would just blow up massive amounts of the mountain, forever changing the landscape, forever changing the landscape. That's what we have in our hands and in our heart is the gospel. It's dynamite. It's forever changing. That's what, that's what we have. And there's no need to be ashamed of it. We don't need to cower down about it. We don't need to be afraid of offending because we live in a day that everybody gets offended about everything and gets up in a tizzy about anything. I mean, why did you think that about me? I, I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, I read you thinking about me. I heard you. You can't hear me thinking about you. I mean, they, they, we're all on edge, just ready to snap and to blow up. And we've got the gospel that brings, is the power of salvation. If it offends, let it offend. Because sometimes we need to be offended. We need to be rubbed. Why? Because when we're rubbed and we're irritated, it gets our attention, does it not? And it causes us to look and examine. It causes us to look and examine and to figure out. And then the third aspect we see in this parable is the ground. The seed that it falls on, and that's man's heart. That's man's heart. And so, church, I, I want to press us this morning because it's not enough for us just to be nice people, sweet neighbors, or good citizens of this world. It's not enough. We, as the people of God, have to be intentional with sowing the seed of the gospel by telling people about Jesus and their great need for him to be Lord of their life. We have to. Uh, being a good neighbor that just helps out your, uh, your, your, your neighbor from time to time. Or being sweet and holding the door for somebody. And even saying, Jesus loves you. and going on. No, no, We need to be intentional to engage and have conversation about the gospel. To share the truth about the human heart. To share the truth about humanity. We, we've got to love people enough to do that. We've got to engage and have conversation and understand that it's the work of the Holy Spirit that draws and saves. He just uses us to spread seed and to share. But we've got to be intentional. So now let's look at the four conditions of, of, of the heart here. The four conditions, the soils of the heart, as Jesus is going to explain. As, he, as he, he says, hear the parable of the sower. And then he says this in verse 19. He says, anyone who hears the words of the kingdom... That's the gospel. Here's these words of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news. And does not understand it. He says this, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what happens. This is what's sown along the path. Did you catch that? The gospel is spread. The gospel truth is shared. And as it's shared, the heart is hard. And as it's hard, the seed hits. And as it hits, uh, uh, the evil one comes and snatches it and takes it away. Who's that? That's Satan. That's his fallen angels. That's the demons. The truth is spread and shared. And as it hits the heart that's hardened, that seed is snatched away. They could care less about the things of God. No interest in what God has to say or what he stands for. They're indifferent to anything spiritual at all. And Satan uses every ploy possible to blind people to their sinful condition and need of salvation. Everything possible. And he will make a heart hardened in a moment, will he not? Will he not? And so some of the ploys that Satan uses is this, is, is it allows people to believe that they're not really a, that bad of a person. I mean, that, that's prevalent in our day-to-day, -day, is it not? I mean, I mean we're, we're great people. We deserve. We should have. We've, we've worked hard. We're, we're, not, we're not really uh, uh, that messed up or we don't really struggle about that much. And then when you use words like broken or wicked or fallen, 
I mean, it frustrates or it irritates because we've been piped in lie after lie after lie and fed social media, uh, 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 social um media post after post after post saying how great and how awesome and how good we are when, when in all reality, apart from Christ, there's nothing good about us. Nothing good about us. That's the good news of the gospel is that it outs us and tells us the truth because deep down we know that. We know we don't have it together. The world's broken and it knows it. It knows that this is not the best. That's why we, we try to throw everything that we can at it. We, we try to put policy in place. We try to put new leaders in place. We try to put all of this stuff in place. And, and it just doesn't stick because that's not the answer. Like, like, like the, the political platform is not the answer. Like, like the governmental platform, that, that doesn't fix. That will only frustrate more and more and more because that's not the issue. The issue is the heart of man. The fallenness and sinfulness and wickedness of man. So one of the ploys is Satan wants you to think that you're not really that bad. He wants you to doubt the gospel. It's not true. He wants you to stay stubborn and be hard-headed and not give in, not, uh, not give it all. He wants you to procrastinate. He wants you to love the world, chase the things of this world. He wants you to love sin. And he wants you to do whatever you've got to do to do anything but, but come to Christ. Or even take a moment to look at. So the first type of soil we'll see is the unresponsive heart there, the hardened heart. And when that seed hits, it's snatched away quickly. The second type of soil we see here is this, is the superficial heart. Verse 20 says this. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So, so they hear the gospel truth. They hear who Jesus is. And, and with that, they, they receive it with joy. Yet the problem is, verse 21, he says, it has no root in itself, but it's for a while. So, so he takes it, he's excited about it. Like, like if you've ever known someone who's come and has heard the gospel or you've shared the gospel with and it gets them like all geeked up and they're excited and it's, and it's kind of like that, that, that little sugar rush or that hit in that moment and they're, uh, they're all excited about it. But, but then yet, look at what he says in when, uh, part of 21, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word. What happens to them? Immediately, he falls away. What scares me about the church is that so many fall in this place. So many. This person has a religious experience that is spurred on by emotions, and it's temporary. And see, the problem is this, is that when it's based solely around emotional experience, it'll never last. Never last. And emotions aren't bad. I mean, I would hope that our emotions would be engaged. It should be. I mean, we should feel things like joy. We should feel things like brokenness. We should, we should be moved in the moment when things are presented to us or, or given to us because we were wired and created emotional. The problem is when our emotions rule us, when our emotions is the utmost and drives us, that is very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Why? Because our emotions are all over the board, are they not? Are they not? I mean, Jimmy and I were, were talking. I mean, you just heard him say it a second ago. Clemson yesterday. I mean, how crazy was that? Your team, your day. I mean, like, I'll wake up and I'll be, like, in that mood from, like, I'm oh, birds singing, just, like, plucking the harp, doing their thing. And, like, it is just, and, and before I get out of the house, I'm ready to kill somebody. I'm ready to set the whole thing ablaze and let's just start over, you know? I, I mean, I haven't even had breakfast yet and I'm like that. And then, and then I get, like, then I get a good breakfast in me and then I'm, I'm back. And I get in the car in Sugar Ridge. That guy cut me off. And I'm like ready to like NASCAR it, you know? 
Let's do this. You, if you're not first, you're last. I'm in. I'll pass on a double. I'd never pass on a double line. But, you know, like I'm just like, my head goes there, and I'm just, I get crazy. Emotionally driven. Emotions are all over the board. And what it would appear is that happens so often in the church, and especially with people as it pertains to experiencing Christ. Yeah, I felt moved, or he told a, a story that really resonated with me. And in that moment, my, my heartstrings were, uh, were pulled on. And, 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 I'll, and I'll, I'll do this little thing that really has no meaning or heart behind it just because of in the moment. And when it doesn't go my way, and tribulation and persecution comes, I fall away. Right? Because didn't God promise us our best life now? Shouldn't I have everything that I've ever wanted and dreamed of? I mean, I said, yes, I believe in you. I prayed. I threw a few bucks in the plate. I mean, I come 50% of the time. I mean, I even sometimes pray with my kids. We'll bust the food every once in a while. I mean, God, why haven't you given me what you never promised? And tribulation and difficulty and struggles hit. And we exit stage left. Why? Because we're not rooted in truth. It was all an emotional binge, an emotional drive. There was never repentance, remorse over sin, recognition of lostness. There wasn't brokenness. And so in that, quick to abandon their commitment to faith. It's like a sugar rush. It's like this little hit of, of red dye five for a moment. And, and in that, like, like you're amped up and you're ready to go and take on, uh, take on hell with a water pistol and, until, until hell hits back. And with that emotion take over and we're done. It's much like the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that story? Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then what happens? They follow after and they want another miracle. They want another cool like little like wizardry, like, like, like Jesus perform for us again, do something cool again. And, and what does Jesus say? They're just there for the show. That's it. He knows the heart of man. He knows the heart of people. They just wanted their bellies filled and not their souls satisfied. I came across, across a quote um, from William Arnott. Listen to this. It'll be on the screen there, but it says this. It says, if, if their law of God has never rent the stony heart and made it contrite, that is, bruised it small, you man, by receiving the gospel, some temporary superficial softness of nature, obtain your religion easily, quickly, than others who have been more deeply exercised. But you may perhaps not be able to hold it so fast or retain it so long. He that endureth till the end shall be saved, but he that falls away in the middle shall not. See, what he is saying is this. If it's that little superficial emotional thrust in the moment, and there's never any root or deepness or depth or following it out, Bathed and surrounded in truth. Embedded in the truth. Man, emotions will come and go. And, and so will your dedication and faithfulness to Jesus. So then let's look at the third, the third heart is this, the worldly heart. The, this, the next type of soil is this. Verse 22, it says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. So, so this person hears the word, but is so worldly for it to do anything. Yeah, yeah that sounds 
great, yeah, that sounds good, but life is comfortable, life is great, life is grand right now. That's cool, but I'm, like, I'm, I, I love living the life that I've got. I love the, uh, the friends that I run with, I love the crew that I've got, the things that I do, the things that I partake in. I, I, yeah, if I can just kind of tag Jesus in on something, a part of it, or kind of like, like fit him in, I'll do that. They're just so worried about the cares of the world. What would the world say? What would the world think? What does the world have going? I don't want to miss out on a good time. See, John pins this in 1 John 2.15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. He says, don't love the world, don't love the world, don't love the things of the world. Don't get so focused and close-handed on the stuff here. Don't focus on that. It's going to rot. Why? Because you know what's coming out here in just a, uh, not very long from now is iPhone 15. See, she's already trying to get, that's a little promotion. You stop it. That was perfect, wasn't it? Like that will never happen again. Yeah, but iPhone 15 is coming out. And if you've got the 14, that's awesome. But just know the camera next year is going to be even greater. That processor, I mean, how much quicker can it get, for heaven's sakes? Like, I'm a kid of the product of the dial-up age. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm like anything, I mean, I mean, 5GE three times seven. I mean, I, 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 I wasn't talking in tongues. I just couldn't get it out. But it's just like, I mean, what, what's next? I mean, they just attach it to your retina and to your, like, to the brain, and it just, you're just thinking it, I mean, where are we going with it? Where are we going with it? It's crazy. But that's the world we live in. It's too focused. That, this type of soil is too focused on the world, too focused on what the world has to offer. It's someone who professes to be a believer but is not concerned about sin, doesn't have a hate toward it, doesn't have a, a love for righteousness. And that would just give us evidence that maybe that soil of the heart is thorny. It's a person who comes to church, but it's not the church. It's a person who comes to church from time to time, but they're not the church. And it's usually because they have a deeper love and desire for something other than Christ. Maybe it's success, maybe it's career, maybe it's kids, maybe it's sports, maybe it's money, maybe it's everything other than Christ. And they'll just try to fit it in or make this work when they can. Which brings us to the last heart, the receptive heart, the soil that is ready. And he goes on in 23 and says, As for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Hears the word and understands it. And he indeed bears fruit. So, so as a result of a relationship with Christ, as a result of being plugged into, as a result of, of faith, there's going to be fruit produced. And the thing we've got to understand about fruit is that as it comes in different waves. It may be uh, exponential. It may be small. I mean, there, there's, but there should be fruit. Right? If, if, if you've got a tree that's not producing fruit, what do you do with it? You get rid of it and plant another one. That's what you do. So, so, so we should be, I was gonna say, yeah, we should be fruity people. I'm just quoting scripture, you know, like, what kind of church is that? It's a fruity church. You should come. It's, welcome everybody. But honestly, that we should produce fruit in our life that represents that of the tree that we belong to, the vine that we're grafted into, which would be that of Jesus. So we should look like Jesus, we should act like Jesus. So when we say that there's a standard of holiness, which, which we've been called to, it's because he set the standard. 
He's the tree that has shown us what to produce, what to bear, what to do. And what this scripture says is this, is that if we're grafted in and we're a part of it and, that, and we're that soil that the seed falls on, there should be fruit. In some cases, a hundredfold, 60, and others 30. But this person, this heart has heard the sweet message of the gospel and sees themselves through the lenses of what the gospel says about them. And as a result of that, they understand their great, great need for Jesus Christ. And in faith, they enter relationally with Christ and what he's accomplished and done on the cross. And they cling to the reality that he has paid a payment that we can never pay. That he has become and that he has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. And the things of the world, the opinions of man, all this other stuff that's going to come at us. I mean, we land on the bedrock of that of Jesus Christ. Church, that's the message that this world needs to know. That's the message that this world needs to hear. And we, in producing fruit, need to point to that. If we're a true believer, we're going to produce fruit. And and it's more than just behavior modification. It's more than just being a sweet person. It's more than not uh, uh, cussing much or not being selfish. Or not. It, it, it's, it's Jesus. It's a new attitude and heart and behavior. That's what it is. It's coming to the point in the place of seeing ourselves as, as, as God sees us apart from him, wicked and undone and deserving damnation in hell. And in that casting all that we have on him. I, I need you as Lord. I need you as Savior. I can't even fix one thing in my life. I need you to fix it all. And coming to that place, and as a result of us being in him, stuff's going to happen. Those habits, those things in us that, that aren't bearing fruit of, he'll begin to prune and cut away. I mean, my, oh, I've been at this thing for over 20 years, following and pursuing Jesus, and I look drastically different now than I did the day that I come to faith in Christ drastically different. I'm not talking about because I can grow a beard and I talk a little bit deeper. I'm I'm talking about because my heart, my heart is shaped, my heart is molded, my heart is that of Jesus. And there are times, hear me, there there are times when it gets gets a little stony and rocky in there and God has to, to prune and do. But man, he does that because he loves and he cares for. And so he shapes and he molds all the more. Man comes back up. What we see here is this parable. The Lord teaching his disciples. And I believe the heart behind this is, is pushing along the fact that anyone who belongs to him can and should be a witness for him. To spread the seed of the gospel. To spread the seed of the gospel. The, the thing that I just took to at the beginning of this parable was the fact of the different soils. And each, each one of those soils was in a different condition. And I believe it's our responsibility to pray for God to soften and make that heart into a condition that can receive the gospel. Because I know and I understand that there's people that you can engage with the gospel right now that will want nothing to do with it. We're not here. It won't have a thing to do with it. And you know what? That's fine. You just continue to live out Jesus in front of them. You continue to bear fruit before them. You continue to serve them well, to care for them well. Maybe the way that you throw seed out now is this, is that you invite them to come over to the house for dinner. 
And maybe the way that you plant seed is by praying for your food. Or maybe the way that you plant seed is by the way you interact with your family. Or maybe the way that you uh, uh, sling the seed right now is, is by just befriending them and caring for them. Because what I know is there's a day coming that God's going to try to get their attention. Where he's going to stir in their heart and he's going to cultivate and prepare the ground. We've just got to be ready and at the place to sling seed. We've got to be ready and at the place to sling seed. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God stirred in your heart. I don't know what, what, what he's convicted you of or maybe encouraged you with. But the thing that I would plead with you this morning more than anything else is this, is to, to know which soil you are. To know how you walk. Because I, I'm not so foolish as to think that everybody here this morning knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You may know some stuff about him. You may even be able to recite some stuff. You may be like some of the soils that we've even looked at here. But I believe the soil that will endure eternity is a soil that has been cultivated, prepared, that receives a seed. And from that soil, growth comes from the seed. And we know that he's the one that waters. He is the one that takes care of. He is the one that causes the grow. Some 100, some 60, some 30. The growth's not important. The fact that, or the amount of growth's not important. It's the growth that matters. So is there growth in your life? Is there fruit being produced? And an easy way to check that is this. Who are you praying for and who are you sharing the gospel with? I mean, that's just an easy indicator. Easy indicator. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart, but I just want to say this, man. If, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we'd love to talk to you more about what that means and what that looks like. And maybe this morning is God cultivating that, that soil of your heart and starting to soften it and starting to work with it and starting to do a work so you can receive that seed. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've got someone that's lost that you know at work. And maybe the conviction this morning is this is for you to, to do a better job of, of slinging seed in their direction, sharing the gospel with them, having gospel conversations, engaging in a way to tell of the glorious news of Jesus Christ. So wherever you're at this morning, hey, all's welcome. And I would even argue that it's fine to be where you're at. Just don't be satisfied there. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict, draw, work, and you be obedient to his calling, his leading. Father, help us this morning in this place to hear from you, follow after you. Father, if there be a heart here that don't know you, Lord, I pray that this morning would be the morning that they hear the gospel for the first time in a way that takes root and bears fruit in their life. And Father, for the heart in here that needs to start sharing and slinging the gospel, God, give us... Give us what we need to do that. Help us persevere and have boldness and not be afraid or feel shame. Father, we know that you'll work and that you'll do in your time. And the privilege and honor is that you use us. Help us to see that, feel that, and know that. Lord, we love you and need you. In your name we pray. Amen.